Hey there, friends. It's Renee here at the Rose AR Podcast. And today we have two dope guests. Pew, 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 pew. Our first guest, Naomi Shelton, who is an educator here in the District of Columbia. And secondly, one of my favorite roses on planet freaking Earth, Lorenza Wines, with a mother and daughter duo, Melinda and Michelle. So exciting. So happy. Y'all, this episode is about to be litty. Yay! So we sip rose. We gonna sip rose. Rose. Sip rose. Baby girl, she don't play. Don't play. So we sip rose. We gonna sip rose. That rose hour, baby. Sip rose. Everything will be Hey there, friends. It's Renee here at the Rose Hour Podcast. And you know what? What? Guess who I'm here with? Who? Who? Who, who is it? Their name starts with a B, and they work at the bar. And if T Pain was here, he'll be like, "I'm at the bar with him." You would say all that? You would, probably not. <laughs> you sure you probably would like this pull up with me? He was okay. So hey guys, it's Bartender Ben. Hey, y'all know who I am. Same you know time, same. Be. You know who we do? We be. Um, you know, uh, straight off top, you know, we, we kind of deep into this Lorenza bottle of wine. And yeah, we're going to start the episode letting you guys know that Lorenza wine. Yeah. Yo. But I was saying it to say, you know, I'm already a little bit tipped. So if I slur a little bit, please <laughs> be forgiving as a listener and a valued friend of the Rose Hour podcast. Listen, we all have a day in quarantine. I feel like I need the law and order, you know, episode, you know, like ching ching going on right there to be like, this is episode number 966 of the quarantine. Right. Because that's what it feels like. Mm. One day we will, we too shall be outside. Hey. So what I'm really excited about is Lorenza Rose wine. Man. And we've been sipping on this for a little bit today. I remember she was on the live with it. Yeah, she's so much fun. Michelle, it's oh a mother-daughter duo. And I, like, how do you, like, start a business other than with your mother? Like, how cool is that? Right. A lot of people try to duck their mama, you know what I'm saying? That's try to do that with her. You know? Right, like, oh, mom. Yeah, but, like, her mom is mad cool, Miss Melinda. She's so cool. And more specifically, this Lorenzo is a California from Napa Valley, and it's like a rosé and blush wine. Right. Um we go more into that during like the episode, like what type of rosé, uh, which I'm really excited about that they are on the episode. Yes. 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 Beautiful people. Beautiful people. You got to go out to Napa Valley. I can't wait. And can't like, wait. there's so many amazing, cool people in Napa that are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. But before we go any further. Can you crush grapes with your feet in Napa? You can, and everyone told us we can, so we got to do this. We have to. That's a a, a bucket list item. Yes, yes, yes. And speaking of bucket list, you know, um, we like to sort of talk about current events. And one of the most current event that's going on right now, I think, is, you know, um, people are trying to, like, go back outside. Yes. 
And it's kind of cool, you know, like people are really like, hey, I miss the outdoors. The outdoors are great. Um, People want to support businesses, whether it's local, people want to travel. And like, it's great, but also to the point of like, hey, people, um, let's social distance properly. Wear your mask. Just at least wear your mask. It's not that hard. I mean, for real, I just appreciate the attempt with the mask you know you see people wearing it wrong it'd be backwards upside down right not even covering their nose i'm like at least at least you're coming with the right spirit yes yes. you know what i'm saying but like people becoming barefaced in the the, the gas station or at the grocery store you're like come on man yeah it is like Like, um why is this happening you know it's a pandemic outside right like (laughs) you do know people died people dying out there (laughs) what are we doing Ninjas is dead and whatnot. Yes. <laughs> RPT. I mean, it's not nothing to be funny. I mean, it's not. No, nothing. and I'm laughing only because that's a. Um, it's the real. Right. Video. It, okay, so if you know if you know that rap song, that's why I said it. Right. But so like, time out. it's real. Time out. We already told you in the beginning. We on this Lorenzo wine. We deep into it. So you got cut us a break. We ain't you know jacked up folks. Yes. Like, we, we, we all turned up, folks, right now. Um, I don't yeah. think we've ever shown people this side. I think we should show it more often. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Listen, Michelle and Melinda, y'all, I don't know what secret sauce you guys have in this. This is better than any French fry <laughs> that McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King could try. This rosé, oh my God. And they have spritzers. Okay, yes, we just, we just backpedaled back to Lorenza. But we had to because it's so good. <laughs> well, I mean, they, you know, that's what that's what on the episode this week. We gotta give them love, and two, they just are two beautiful people. Yes, you know what I'm saying. And 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 in this society right now, everybody they know is rare to find beautiful people doing through. So, um, that was a cool vibe to have them on. Yeah, the wine is strong. It got us, you know what I mean. <laughs> it makes us feel dandy and. You know, we're in the district. A lot's happening here. Whether you have a party affiliation or not, um, whether you like Kanye running for president, do not, or not. vote for Kanye. Um, <laughs> agreed. Look, Tom, let, let me just speak on that. You know, we talked about this offline. You know, what I mean, a little bit ago. Um, a vote for Kanye is a vote for Trump. Yes. And the reason why I say it like that is because Joe Biden who the Democratic Party selected, yes. you know, to be the, the candidate, kind of like the contender to go against the champion, Will, like a boxing analogy, right? Yes, it's a totally a boxing analogy. Right. So now, if you throw three people in the ring, it gives a champion, hypothetically, an easier chance to win. Yeah. So now what happens is a vote for Kanye is not a vote for Biden. The Republican Party is all loaded up against this one for this one dude. Everybody's voting Trump. You dig what I'm saying? So you gotta that's make a gem sure, right there, guys. You gotta do not fall victim to this silly shit that's going on with your boy Kanye. It's yeah. not right. It's not cool. And if you want to have Trump in here for another four years, vote for Kanye. If you want to act like this is the Lion King, but not have Simba win in the end vote for Trump and everybody knows that Trump is like Scar like we have to break it down like this because Mm -hmm. Scar was jealous right and Obama was like 
you know, uh, Simba's dad, Mufasa, right? He was like, yes, everybody loves him. He's great. He's a good person. Like, he did his taxes and people knew what his taxes were. Like, he was cool. He was a good dad. He was a, like, he loved Simba. He was like, oh my God, Simba, no! And Scar put a hit out on him, <laughs> which is what Trump tried to do with the whole birther movement. Right. But let's not get confused, people. I don't care your party affiliation. You shouldn't care about mine. What we're just saying is things are messed the hell up. And you know it. So you know this ain't right. Regardless, right, of your party, even as a Republican, right? And I deal with friends who are Republican. I work with them. Guess what? <laughs> like, it's not even your interest. Right. And off top, being Republican is not a crime. It's not. Be Republican. So respect your party and tell your party to get your people together. And I don't mean your people like in a disrespectful way, but more so in the sense of like, hey, here's a group that is other. Get y'all others together so that you can make a movement that makes sense for your priorities. Because right now your priorities are not on the table because I mean, just looking at the small business world. Sorry, he does not care. At all. He does not care. At all. Tariffs, taxes. I mean, people are like, opportunity zones are great for a rich. No, actually, you have to do a lot as a rich person even to gain off of opportunity zones. Like, a lot, a lot. It's Man. for the one percenters, to be honest, I mean, before you even get that tax break. That's a whole nother episode about opportunity zones. Yeah, and we, we'll do that, but... another segment right there yeah it is because we definitely need to explore that topic and really talk through that and what it really means and what it means to people in, in the city yeah what it means to you know minorities in the city um so we i don't know we probably touch on it next week let's do it and also rural communities because where i'm from in waukegan illinois it is a suburban rural community and it's real uh, we just jumped into it today, but you hey. know what? It's like that sometimes. Hey, and Lorenzo Wines, it's all about reform and reforming the world to be a better place. And so all the Trump. children of the world can be together to be better. Right. Yes. Sauced. <laughs> well, sauced. A little bit. A little sauced. sauced. I'm <laughs> Right. But... I also want to just talk about Naomi real quick, who is our first interview today. And Naomi is like my, is it called doppelganger? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. So she's like my doppelganger. Like we look alike because like people will be like, oh, you're Naomi. And I'm like, Renee. Uh-huh. And like she went through the same thing where people thought she was me. And like we do, we do favor as my mom likes to say older black women love to say <coughs> y'all favor that's like looks similar right. um but like Naomi is so amazing she is an educator here in the district mm. she works for the KIPP schools mm. um and does a lot of sort of like connecting services to students who really sort of kind of go under um the radar of of uh, accessibility that they need and so um <laughs> Yes, applause, 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 applause for Naomi. And I'm just so thankful and happy and so excited that, you know, we had the opportunity to talk to her. And then uh, we talked to Lorenza Wines, Rose out of Napa Valley, and Michelle, uh, the daughter of the mother-daughter duel, 
um, actually used to be a model in Paris. Mm. And so she talks about that and how she, you know, made that transition to the wine industry. Man. I know, Again, right? two beautiful people. That was a fun live, for real. Yeah, one of the best, right? Yeah. Um, yeah man. Shout out to Lorenzo Wine. And two, y'all have a really good product, man. You got a sauce on the show. Man. Man, send us some more stuff. Please send us. The whole time. Please. We need it. Man, we need it, man. We feed well, it we, over here, man. We Lorenzo appreciate Wine, it. Man. And you know what? Let's get into our first interview. Yes. Pew, pew. Naomi. Naomi. Boom. friends guess what you're here at the rose hour podcast with renee and today i have a fabulous amazing exciting educator who is here to talk to you about education and how she got involved she is a board member of the dc public charter school board and the director of community engagement to kip foundation ladies and gentlemen the most amazing beautiful New Orleans influencer, <laughs> Naomi Shelton. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And that's funny that um, you say New Orleans because everybody thinks I live there. <laughs> Whenever I visit, they're like, so when did you move back? And I'm like, I don't live here, y'all. That's not it. I know. But um, like when I think of you, I think of nothing but good New times. Orleans. In New yeah, Orleans. And, and, you know, my friend Di, our friend Di, and I yes. used to host a... Um, a Mardi Gras party here in D.C. Um, and unfortunately, we have not been able to find a new home for said party oh. because Acadiana closed. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, rest in peace, Acadiana. R.I.P. Um, right. And I even slip into a nice New Orleans accent for that. I can't do it without, <laughs> you know. Without doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Well, we we are so thankful you are here today. Well, thank um, you. And, you know, how are you uh, hanging during this COVID social distancing? So because I am a true, like I'm an ambivert, I can be extroverted mm-hmm. when I have to, only when I have to. Mm-hmm. I am really an introvert at heart. Yes. I, I'm an only child. I'm my mother's only child. So I love being alone and I don't think about it as being lonely or anything like that. I just like being, like, I like myself a You lot. like you, girl. I'm girl, here for I mean, that. I am my homie. And so me and my dog, Spike Lee Shelton. Yes. Uh, have been in the house and he's been looking at me like, girl, when are you going to leave? He's like, and I want to miss you. Can you leave? Right? <laughs> he's like, excuse me. <laughs> these hours are where you're usually gone, girl. Why are you still here? Yes. Um, like, so I, I'm chilling. <laughs> the only thing that I'm not doing enough of that I wish I would just have the energy, not energy, but the focus to like, other than work reading, mm-hmm. I can't read for pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's, because of the nature of what you do and like educators are reading stuff all the time. And it's like, yeah. how are you able to decipher the two? But we'll get into that because. Yep, absolutely. Ah, I'm so excited you're here. And I would love for you to just kind of like tell everybody like who you are and how did mm-hmm. you become this amazing woman in the education space? So I am, um, you know, of course, the the daughter of the daughter of an educator. My grandmother was a uh, 30 year teaching veteran. Oh, wow. um, so I am originally from Jackson, Mississippi. 
Um, my mother um, ended up moving us up to D.C. when I was maybe four, five. Um, technically, not technically, but actually, I live across the street from my elementary school right uh-huh. now. Um, and so education has always been, you know, at the you know, in the background, the conversations that we would have at home were always about college going, always about, you know, being sure that you had a foundation of not only uh, understanding, but like critical thinking and making sure that you could, you know, present an argument, but at the same time, be able to decipher information. And so going into uh, high school, my mother decided, hey, you know, the neighborhood school that you're supposed to go to isn't really on par with what we want. So she put me in private school, went through this whole thing with my grandmother because my grandmother was a public school teacher. And my grandmother was like, well, thank God, because I didn't know when you were going to do it. I didn't like, (laughs) girl, I was wondering how long it was going to take you. So went to private school here in the the Maryland area uh, and then ended up attending the college where I am a fourth generation graduate. So that's Tougaloo College in Tougaloo, Mississippi. Um, And long story short, just that idea of the how do you bridge social justice, social justice, uh, the public space arena and how, you know, what it means to be a public servant and education. And taking all those things and those, I now can look at my career and see how I've, you know, pulled all those things together to really think about, you know, education is supposed to be the the um, great equalizer to build a just society. How do you really do that? Um, and I can talk a little more about how. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people, I tell people all the time, I stacked my toolbox. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was like, oh, look at this. This will be a great this will be a great universal tool for me to have later on and not knowing that's what I was doing as I was developing my career. Um, So yeah, I'm now, you know, working in the education space. When people think of education, they think black and white, but you're either a teacher, you're somewhere in the school, Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't think about all the supports that go around that that industry or that landscape. And so there's so much that people can do in the education space that is beyond the classroom, but has so much impact for students and families. Yeah. So your community engagement, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I get what it is, but I think to some <laughs> listeners, they may not know. Do you mind like kind of telling like, how sure. did you even get into that and what it is? <laughs> right. So this, this position and the position that I had prior to this position are both brand new roles. Um, so it's really interesting that I get to like build a plane as I'm flying it when it comes to the work. Mm-hmm. So the work that I do now is with uh, the KIPP Foundation, which is the national, uh, I'd say, leadership support organization for all of the KIPP schools uh, throughout the country. Wow, and that's so huge. It is huge. You know, I think at this point we have 242 schools across the country. I'd have to double check. You know, I mean, it's 200 plus. I mean, it's only it's only 200 schools. (laughs) Um, And we serve about 100,000 kids across the country Uh, here in D.C. I think there are 19 schools. Um, And it's it's just really interesting to think about in the 25 year history of KIPP and KIPP schools. um, The work itself has really been focused on how do you ensure that students that have been um, in in school districts that have not typically served those communities well, Mm -hmm. how do you then provide the education that they need? My work is because of how the charter landscape works, 
how do you take a school that is serving its community so the students and their immediate families accept exceptionally well, but in the community, in the broader sense of a community, in the city where they are, in the state where they are, how do you really deepen and expand the relationships that they have with other, other organizations that are thinking about how to serve children and families well, because mm-hmm. they've just been working in silos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you connect them to the um the colleges and universities in that area, specifically HBCUs? How do you connect them to um, some of the civil rights organizations that are doing work there? How do you connect them to um, some of the other organizations that are deeply embedded in community, but just have um, a bit of distance between their work because of perceptions of each other Mm -hmm. or because the, the school leadership may not be melanated. They may not be Black. So they just don't understand how to engage in that space. And so I do the work of, here's a, a, a landscape and, and mapping of who's in the community. Here are the people you should be talking to and how you should be thinking about your work. And how do you do that authentically? You know, we talk about, uh, specifically here in D.C., how things can just be really transactional. Yeah. You know, you know, if you go to happy hour back in the day, it was where do you work? Who do you work for? Mm -hmm. And just asking those really surface questions. And so you want to get to a place of like beyond the surface. What are the ways that you can support one another? Um, And so in the best interest of students and families. So that's what my work is at KIPP. And how do you do that at a local level and at a national level? right? Right. And so how do we start to have better and more thoughtful conversations with other organizations like the Urban League, like UNCF and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, like Mm. NAACP? Because at the end of the day, the students that KIPP overwhelmingly serves are the same people that those organizations touch and serve as well. Wow. So there's a lot of intersectionality between the two uh, sort of worlds, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in what my work at UNCF, so UNCF is where I was before I joined KIPP. I was there for six and a half years. And I think that's really where the meat and potatoes of my work really started to come together. And people really saw me as an, um, I won't say influencer, but like a critical voice in the education um, reform space. And, and UNCF so, is United Negro College Fund, right? Yes, United Negro College Fund. Um, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, <I>, there is <laughs> something amazing about you know the school that I attended is a UNCF institution, um, and there's just something about being able to like look at the longevity of the the work of an organization like that for so many other college and uh, higher ed institutions. Mm -hmm. And then how do you connect those dots between K-12 and higher ed? Because there is so much that, so much overlap. And like you said, intersectionality in terms of making sure that students have what they need so they're prepared to go to college. And once they're there, how do you then reinforce the idea of how people can get involved in the education landscape without thinking they have to just be teachers. And I, you know, hate to say just be teachers and they have to qualify it that way. But there are people that when they go to school mm-hmm. and they're the first generation in their families to attend college, their families are like, no, 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 no. You're not going to just teach. Yep. You got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You need to do, you know, you got to go work on the Hill. You got to do these things where well, we need people who understand where a lot of these students back, like, understand where they're coming from um, to be able to impart that wisdom to them and be able to like 
to teach them because they understand them. And so how do you then get people to look at teaching in a completely different way? And that was what my work was at UNCF. So it was the full gamut, like teaching, understanding education, understanding education reform, research. It was all of those things. And I was like on a circuit talking about it on a regular basis. Wow. And yeah. so you're also a board member here in D.C. for the public partner, public charter <laughs> school board. Uh huh. Uh, and so yeah. what do you do on the board? Um, so I have um, I was appointed to the charter school board in 2017, took office or took my seat on the board in 2018. And so the D.C. public charter school board is the authorizing body for charter schools here in D.C. So by the authorizer, we essentially open, review, and close schools in in a systematic way, right? Mm -hmm. So we basically, like a traditional school board, um, we do set some policies to make sure there's continuity across the different types of schools. Um, And D.C. has a very, very rich charter history. very different than a lot of other places. Um, You know, if you were to juxtapose D.C. against New Orleans, very, very, very different. Very different. different. (laughs) Very, very, very different. Um, But of course, then, you know, in in broad stroke conversations, people hear charter and they hear what they, you know, feel is a four-letter word. Uh, D.C.'s charter landscape was really, you know, the the first round of charters, which are hitting about the 20, 25-year mark now. Um, A lot of those schools, were led by people of color, mm-hmm. open, opened by people of color, founded by people of color. Uh, last year, we approved four, uh, five charters, four of them led by people of color. Uh, so what we do is we review applications and those applications are robust. They are thoughtful. They are full of uh, financial information and data around what type of curricula they're going to use, like all of these things. Mm-hmm. We review that along with the staff and we vote on those things. Um, every five years, our charter schools are reviewed. And in those five-year reviews, we have the discretion to say whether or not they can open or close after looking at their data. Um, um, and then, you know, after a while, if they're not performing to the standard that they set for themselves or that the benchmarks that we set, uh, we have the authority to say they have to shutter their doors. It is never uh, a great feeling to have to remove a school from a community because we know that specifically in the Black community, schools are like communities. They're hubs. They're, they are the anchor to neighborhoods and to close a school, especially a school that serves not only students within a certain um, range, but, you know, the larger DC, yeah. yeah, large, larger DC area, that can be hurtful and painful to communities. So, if we manage that process and and being thoughtful about if a school is not serving kids right, like if you're just loving them to death and not really giving them the the uh, academic foundation they deserve, um, how do we then, you know, assign students and allow for parents to look at different options, assign students to different schools, or um, you know, look at other options to help make sure that they're getting the, the educational foundation they deserve. Wow. And that's so important. And, you know, thank you for doing that work because I actually come from a place where we didn't have charter schools originally. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that like the country is becoming more uh, open to having them. And so like my niece actually went to a charter school 
Uh, my great niece is going to a charter preschool. And so mm-hmm. um, it's just amazing to see all the work that so many people have done to create other opportunities um, that are real and community based uh, to yep. help students, you know, thrive in school because school is hard. Um, oh, my God. And, and when, I, parents realize that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you take an epidemic, a pandemic, excuse me, for people to realize that it's like you went to school too. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Hard. Yeah. It is so hard. And the, the challenge, you know, that, that a lot of people have in the specifically in the charter space is, you know, what does that mean for um, what does that mean in terms of like the funding and all those different things. But when it really, when you just boil, you know, things down to, uh, to brass tacks, mm-hmm. are we giving students what they deserve and what they, you know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, equity in education mm. means we need to be giving more. Yes. And that isn't just more funding to teachers. That's more funding and supports to, to lift up the entire school. So there's, there's the um, autonomy that teachers and, and, and leadership have in terms of how they'll shift their curriculum. That's just how we think about it differently. And, you know, when charter schools were, because people are so anti-charter yeah. and I get it. I know why, but I always say DC has a very different experience, yeah. completely different. So I'm proud to be a part of that, like that decision-making in terms of like, reviewing schools and all those things. But when it comes down to it, the fact that our schools, uh, you know, a overwhelming majority of the schools in that first wave were led by people of color mm-hmm. just says so much about how different this was. It was people saying, I am from this community. I understand what we need and I'm going to serve that need in a really thoughtful way. Um, versus people that are like, yeah, and I'm going to open up this school and I'm going to make money and it's this, that, and the third. Yeah, because it's not a moneymaker. We're here to help the babies. Right. And David says, teach the babies. Teach the babies. (laughs) That's that's right. And, you know, we all, how do you do that and take best practices from, from all sectors? There are things that happen in the traditional sector that, you know, that are helpful, but there are tons of opportunities that have been, um, created in the charter sector. They just need to make their way to the traditional sector to really shift how we do the whole public education thing. Um, I always recommend and people feel a, feel a way about it. Um, I got started in this education space because I worked for Mayor Adrian um, Fenty. Fenty. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So he is known in the education space as the Edward Reform Mayor because he took mayoral control over the D.C. public schools, mm-hmm. um, named a chancellor. Everybody know if you're from D.C. or if you're in the education space, you know Michelle Reeves' name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember not just that experience, but also having high school interns that worked for us in the mayor's office. And just a couple of them, I just remember thinking to myself, that's not where you should be in high school. Like you're getting ready, you're going into your junior year, you should be thinking about college. And some of those things were just so far removed from where these kids were, what, you know, what their level of preparation should have been. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is what's, this is the problem. You know, we, we haven't been really thoughtful and equitable about if a student does live east of the river, does that mean that they are, they're, they're, education should be limited because they live east of the river. Right. Um, I mean, how is that a thing, you know? Yeah. Right. And so people really fought a lot of the 
um, ways in which Michelle Rhee and, and the, uh, that wave of uh, DCPS leadership, like the ways in which they went about the work. But when you would talk to people, when we were campaigning for Fenty's re-election, people were really excited about some of the things that had happened. You know, there was this overwhelming frustration with the um, removal of teachers. There were teachers who were fired. Um, and I understand, like, completely understood why people were upset. But then when you looked at what was happening with it, it you can always tell there's um, the saying, you could tell a lot about a, 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 a people by how, how are the children, right? So Chris Stewart, yes. who's at, an advocate in this space, always asks, how are the children? And when you're engaging with kids and they, you know, are writing sentences, but every word in the sentence, not every word in the paragraph, but every word in one sentence is capitalized. Like every first letter of a word is capitalized. Mm. Like, girl, that's not how you write a report. Who told you that? Like, and who? When, and who? <laughs> who didn't tell you to stop? And who didn't write? And who didn't tell you to stop? And this little girl was talking about going to college. I was like, oh no, wait a minute. And college this is where? why, <laughs> right? And that's and that's why when kids go to school, and that was where the UNCF thing came in, right? Mm. When kids get to college, they're not prepared. They have to take an extra year of college because their first year is just remediation. Um, and just seeing how all those things overlap. So we people here in D.C. knew there needed to be humongous shifts in how education was, uh, how we were, uh, the delivery mechanism, right? Yeah. We shifted it, but did not do a good job in engaging community around how what, why the shifts were necessary and how we would go about the shifts. And then asking people, what shifts do you want to see? Mm. That's when I realized, like, that that's the disconnect. And that's how I ended up doing the work at UNCF. Wow. So I have one last education question. What would you tell parents, like, how they can adapt in this this time right now as as homeschooling is a thing? What is, like, a resource or something they can do, you know, with their kids? Yeah, there are. And that's the other thing. There's the Internet has made stuff so easy, but so much more difficult Mm -hmm. because there's there's so much there. Right. How do you decipher? How do you know where to go? It's overwhelming. It can be so overwhelming. So, of course, I'm a hype up Kip. Um, we have a pew, great, pew, pew, pew. Uh, pew, 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 right? <laughs> we have a great, uh, uh, we have amazing resources, which I'll make sure I provide links to. Um, but there's um, a hub of information that we provided for parents and families to be able to like go to this particular website to find out like what. Um, what resources are available in your city, but then what what resources do you need for like educational background and information? Um, so I'll provide a link. I of yes. course right now I can't remember the link. But I that's should know okay. that. But it, that's right. Okay. But if you but if you go to kip.org um, and search uh, coronavirus resources, you can find it. Um, but I would say just start. Uh, it's so tricky because, you know, trying to say go to this website versus that is really difficult. But I would say go to, um, I believe Urban League has pulled together some resources. Um, like I said, KIPP has pulled together resources. But honestly, if you go to um, KIPP DC's uh, website, they have tons of resources which are not necessarily DC specific. You can utilize them for whatever. Um, and it's all based on your child's grade band and what, you know, and making sure that you're staying within the realms of like what's age appropriate for your child. Um, but there's everything and anything on the internet here in DC, again, um, PAVE, Parents Amplifying Voices in Education, they pulled together a tremendous 
um, body of resources. So those are a couple of places to start. Um, but, you know, everybody is thinking about how to support parents in, in this place. Of course, I'm not a parent. I'm a dog mom. <laughs> you um, are still a parent. <laughs> well, I'm still a parent, girl, because this thing is 16 years old and he wears me thin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would say having um, some stress relief, right? So being able to make sure that you're managing your own stress in this because everybody's not born to be a teacher. Yeah. And then having to like engage in this way versus homework versus like the full deal. It, those are completely different. Right. And how do you make sure that you're taking time and space to remember, you know, think about what were, what did you feel like and how did this feel um, when you were a child? What would you, you know, yeah. people always say, you know, connecting to yourself, your childhood self can reveal a lot. Um, so thinking about not only how do you manage your, your own stress and not think that you have to be the end all be all, but then in the space and time where you do have to like double down, make sure that you're finding, finding ways to balance that and, you know, decompress, de-stress, all of that. and restress. Right. And yes, and just get yourself recalibrated because, you know, I have a, a good girlfriend, her son is eight. Um, she and her, her ex-husband co-parent. And when she gets worn out because he wears her out, she is able to call her son's father and say, come get your boy. Like, yeah. He needs, he needs to run around for a little while. So finding ways to like, you know, be able to ask for help because that is a, a big part of this as well that, you know, folks get boggled down with coming up with new routines and all of that stuff. Like yeah. you have to be able to, to take a step away. Yeah. Well, thank you for all this. This has been all amazing information. And I know a lot of people are like, well, we're going to have to follow up with Naomi. So we would love to have you back. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. I would love to come back. Yes. Now, before we go, I always ask one last question. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite rosé? So I'm an all inclusive. I love like I just (laughs) I love wine as long as it's good and not super sweet. Mm, Um, I like that. Yeah, as long as, it's, you know, and not just rosé, but just wine, period. I love a bold uh, wine. So summertime hits, I'm always like, but I like red wine. Um, We're all making a spritz or a sangria. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's exactly what I do. So right now, um, there are a couple. Like, if I just need to grab and go, um, Josh has a good rosé that I like, mm. you know, because, listen, I'm an equal opportunist, but I'm also like, I like my my to balance my checkbook at the end of the month so I, I don't necessarily right. have to spend a you know an arm and a leg the last rosé that I had that I really enjoyed was um Fleur de Mer oh yes I, I love them yes and I because I I love grapefruit I love watermelon I love like that those citrusy notes right mm-hmm. um and that one was was really really good but the um but and you know I love a good rosé you who find don't, who don't. a spot here in D.C. that has a good froze, I'm in. Call me. Listen, you said brunch and froze, I'm there. Well, I already got a spot. I'll tell you offline. And we're going to go when the outside opens. Not the first group, the second group yeah, that can go the outside. The second wave. Listen, yeah, yeah. we're going to do like when the iPhone drops. We're we gonna come get right, right. We don't want that. We don't want the alpha. We want maybe like the gamma mm-hmm. version. That's mm-hmm. that's what we mm-hmm. gonna go outside. That's, that's a beta. I don't want that first one. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. We don't need exactly. That. Need <laughs> <laughs> well, Naomi, thank you again. This has been so amazing. Um, and we definitely have to have you on because I know there's more questions like what's a public school versus a charter school, and oh, like we girl. haven't even touched the surface. So hopefully, and we can go. 
yeah. we can do all of that. I, you know, that that's part of my work. The education isn't just for like pushing for kids to make sure that adults know. And I also like to encourage people that if there are charter schools in your area, how do you join their board? Yes. Come on, black people. If you want to say white people are making decisions for the babies, you want to make decisions. Go join the charter school board. Yes. So, and she drops a mic. We got to drop the mic on that one. <laughs> join a board, guys. Boom. Boom. Right. Join a board. Join a you board. Ha- I mean, we have so many people that have so many talents and so much expertise. Go join a board. Get like, on a board. Get on a board. Be able to influence it from the inside, right? Make, make the push them on the things that we think that school should be doing, right? Amen. Amen. Well, Naomi, we want to thank you again for being on the show. And thank, thank you, you for your time. Pew, 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 pew. Well, thank you, darling. Thank you. Cheers to you. Yay, Cheers Naomi. to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great one. Yes, you too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Naomi. That was such a great interview. And we appreciate everything you discussed. Because you know what? We we got to believe in the tutor, children and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride. I love it. Thanks, Naomi. <laughs> We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we are going to talk to Michelle of Lorenzo Wines. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Hey there, friends. It's Renee here at the Rose Hour Podcast. And today, you guys, this is so amazing because Instagram is connecting you to all of your new best friends. And I am so glad that social media has been able to connect me to some of the most amazing people on planet freaking Earth. Uh, Today, we have her and her mom have a rose company. And it's so cute. Both of their names start with M, Michelle and Melinda. And today we have Michelle here from Lorenza Rose. Yay! That's the best intro ever. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm like the Chicago Bulls announcer in 93. So (laughs) I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Well, thank Uh, you. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. And also for creating something that is so beautiful called Lorenzo Rosé because it's delicious. I'm so glad that you enjoy it. Yes, yes. So how did you and your mom come up with this Rosé? Um, well, I was born in Napa Valley, so my parents moved out there before I was born. Um, they had restaurants in Colorado and wanted to be in the epicenter of food and wine, uh, in California. So they moved to Napa. And so I was always kind of surrounded by the restaurant industry and the wine industry. Um, but when I really discovered Rosé was um, in Paris, when I was a teenager, I started modeling. And so I would go over there during my school breaks and everyone drank Rosé during lunch on our shoots. (laughs) I thought that was really fabulous. That's a great way to get uh, introduced, by the way. (laughs) Totally. And, you know, the funny thing was, you know, I was really surrounded by a lot of wine in Napa Valley, but rosé wasn't really a big thing when I was growing up. 
So, um, you know, Napa Valley is all about Cabernet and Rosé was really not part of the conversation. So Mm -hmm. that was my first intro to uh, Rosé was in Paris and in France. So I came home after my trips over there and told my mom, yeah, I'm French now and I drink rosé and <laughs> you know, I don't really want to go back to school. But um I did go back to school and um a few years later we decided to start making our own rosé. Um so my mom uh has had 30 years of experience in the wine industry. Wow. And has always loved Provençal rosés because it's so fresh and food friendly. And so we we really bonded over that and wanted to stay connected as I continued to travel with my fashion career. And um, and I think it's also really important to have a connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of like a double life. One one side is in the plane and on photo shoots, and then the other side is like getting down and dirty. In California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here that's, for that. I'm, I'm here for that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so like yeah. when you're in like when you were in France, like modeling, I mean, how was that like actually like I, I know this is not actually about the rose egg, but it's just amazing to know like other cultures embrace shrinking um and you know, sort of like learning about alcohol at a younger age. And so while you were modeling, yeah. how was that, you know, sort of like European um, sort of approach to alcohol versus like the United States? Like, how did that make you feel? And like, what was done that was like, oh, this is okay. And not to binge, <laughs> essentially. Right, right, right. Um, well, you know, growing up in Napa, wine is everywhere. And I think my family was pretty open about letting us kids try wine. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had an education on it from a young age. But I don't know. You know, you know, the first time that you try rosé, it's like so magical and really just lifts your spirits. And I think it really has uh, an effect on your mood. And so when I first tried rosé, it was like totally different than trying any other wine I had at home. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think it was it was really fun and exciting. And then at the same time, I'm a teenager in a foreign country and I'm also there representing myself as a business. So mm-hmm. I got to keep my head on straight and, um, you know, not go too crazy. So I've always kind of had to be very business minded, even from a young age and being in the wine industry. I think that's really important to kind of know your limits and keep everything professional, even though it's really fun, you know, that's important to stay pro. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to you know your limits. It's really real. And I think a lot of people, when they drink, you know, rosé, they're like, oh, it's not really like liquor, but it's like, mm, these spirits will move you. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, that was one thing that was so important to us when we were um, starting Lorenza, uh, is that we wanted to make a really low alcohol rosé. Mm, I um, love that. Yeah, yeah. So on for one reason is because you can drink a whole bottle with your friend. <laughs> you probably won't have a headache in the morning. Yes. Um, yeah. And also, uh, it's just much drier, less sugar. And um, that's the kind of style of rosé that we really enjoy is that Provencal kind of flavor profile. Um, so that's always been important to us. 
Yeah. And I'm I'm like learning more as we're we're doing this podcast about rose and like actually me more like specific to like, okay, my palette and understanding what does that mean and how does, you know, XYZ on uh, you know, rose impact my next day. Um, and it's yeah. very true. Like the lower alcohol content in the rose definitely sets me up for a better tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and yes. I appreciate that, yeah. and the sugar, I, all of that. Totally, I, I re- really recommend looking at the alcohol content when buying rosé. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my kind of go tos when people ask, you know, how should I be looking at rosé on the on the shelf at a store? So I usually try to go for something under twelve percent. Yeah. I think that should give you a good indication. Yeah. (laughs) I I like that. Thank you. Because I'm like, I don't know where I live. And I've seen some like upwards of like 15, which I'm like, how? Um, Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I grabbed it. Uh, (laughs) But I was also like the next day, this is probably not a great decision. So thank you for that information of like 12% is like, "Mm, that's where you should stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, if you want a little lesson in rosé winemaking, there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. Um, so there's mixing red and white grapes, mm-hmm. um, which is not done too frequently um, in the States. And then there is the saignet method, which means to bleed in French. Mm-hmm. And that is when you take your red wine grapes, and let them mature fully uh, for your red wine that you're producing. Let's say, for example, your Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And then you take a first pressing of that red grape and it only touched the skins for a little while. And so you put that into a tank and that's your rosé, what you've bled off. Mm-hmm. And then the third way that you can make rosé is the true rosé method, which is what we do at Lorenza, which is Every decision that we make for winemaking has to do with rosé. It's not a byproduct. It's not an afterthought. It's the only thing we do. So that means that we are harvesting early. We're keeping our sugars low, our acid high. And that really makes for a great low alcohol, super refreshing, dry, delicious rosé. And that's the kind of pink wine that we like to drink. Yeah. And so like two questions into one. How did you come up with Lorenza? And how did you come up with the color pink that you guys wanted your rosé to be? Oh, yeah. Um, well, Lorenza's my middle name. Oh, how cute. Yeah. I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like my alter ego, Lorenza Rosé. Yes, Beyonce, um, <laughs> Sasha Fierce. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, and then the color, I think, is, is important. I think um, a lot of people judge rosé by the color and Mm -hmm. it's, it's not always true, but um, I think that a lighter color rosé is kind of indicative of the flavor profile that you might get. So ours is really light kind of petal pink, Mm -hmm. um, almost like rose gold. It's really luminescent. And so that kind of tells you a little bit about what the wine might taste like. You know, it's very delicate. It's feminine. It's really fresh and light. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And you guys also have a bottle and spritzer uh, can rosé. So do you mind talking more about the the difference between the two? Yeah, totally. So um, 
my mom and I started making Lorenzo Rosé 12 years ago, if you can believe it. Wow. We've been at this for a long time. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, when we started, the rosé industry was like pretty sleepy. Um, there were not very many people making intentional rosé. It was a lot of um, that Sennier method that I mentioned before. And that mm-hmm. just produces, um, you know, a wine that is higher in alcohol and a little bit sweeter. And so we were kind of doing our own thing. And after 10 years of making only one wine, being super focused on making our true rosé, we wanted to celebrate by making something a little bit fun and bubbly in a can. Mm-hmm. So um, we made a special blend for our cans, um, which is uh, Carignan and Grenache. Mm-hmm. And then there's some bubbles in there. So it's just bubbly wine. There's no water. There's no fruit added or anything like that. So it's really refreshing and so fun for summer. And you can just take one with you everywhere. <laughs> Literally, you can. And I love the size. Um, I'm I'm 5'2", so I have pretty small hands. Um, and like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this fits. Because sometimes like <laughs> pop cans are a lot for me. And so... <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. this is so perfect. And like, I I just love, 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 love the branding. Um, how did you guys okay. come up with the like script and everything? Because it's it's definitely like nothing I've seen for real in the industry. It's so unique. I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, we work with a really amazing label designer named David Hughes. And he helped us create our Lorenzo logo, um, which is very graphic. And I think it's really elegant. And, you know, we, we really want the wine to speak for itself and for it to fit in, in a huge range of places. You know, we're in some incredible restaurants like Eleven Madison and the French Laundry. Mm. But then we're, we're also placed in like a dive bar in South Carolina. And you know, talk about diversity. And, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it was really important that the the label would be taken seriously in a really kind of fine dining environment, mm-hmm. um, but also it's like really fun and elegant, um, you know, to consume at home or with your friends or at a barbecue or whatever. So it kind of it can go anywhere. I love it. I love it. So. How can people connect with you uh, and find your rosé and purchase it? Um, well, we are distributed in about 20 states. So um, you can find it at some of your small specialty retailers. Um, and then also our website, LorenzaWine.com. And um, reach out to us if uh you want us to find some wine in your state or if you want to order from us directly, um, our lines are open and we're always happy to chat with anybody um, about getting them some wine. Yes. And what's your social media handles? At Lorenza Rosé. Yes. And um, if we have listeners who would love to try your product, do you have any sort of way that they can connect and make a purchase online? Yeah, totally. On our website, uh, LorenzaWine.com. And if they would like to use the code LOVE, uh, you will get a little discount. Yes, because we love Lorenza. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) 
spread the love. Yeah. Yeah. We think that totally. I mean, rose makes people happy, and that's why we wanted to make this wine. So um, that's what we're all about. Yeah. I don't think anyone can ever recall a bad story after drinking rose. I know I can't. I know. I only think of great, happy <laughs> things. And and I don't wake totally. up with like a hangover. So that's also great. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. The other thing that we're doing that's really fun and kind of um, came about since we're not traveling right now is that we're doing Zoom tastings. So oh. if anybody wants to gather a group of friends, um, we can arrange to ship wine to you guys and then we can do a private Zoom tasting um, with me and my mom and have a little rosé party. So that's another fun thing that we can do. So please reach out. Um, we are so happy to connect with everybody. And you know what? We're going to talk offline about that too because I feel like we need to do one. <laughs> I know. It'll be, be so, so fun. much fun. Yeah, yeah. So want to say thank you, Michelle, for being with us today. Um, we can talk to you for hours, um, but we that just means we just need to bring you back and talk more because there's so much in this space that's happening. Uh, Lorenzo Rosé is amazing. You guys are doing some great things. And I love, love, love women-owned businesses. And I love to see sort of like the legacy of a mother-daughter combination owning a business. So I salute you guys. You guys are doing such a great job and I appreciate you guys so much. No, oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Oh, no problem. But before we go, because I love to ask this question, and I try to prep because I know people are like, oh, it's mine. But some people surprise us. What is your favorite type or brand of rosé? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, of course, I'm a big fan of Lorenza. Um, yes. And uh, like I mentioned, Provencal rosé has always been our inspiration. Um, I think it just is kind of the epitome of what you think of when you think of rosé. Um, so really light, fresh, bright, um, mouth-watering rosé is, is my favorite. And I think that it's also really cool to see some producers like ourselves um, making kind of Provencal rosé in California. Yes! So, yeah, there, there's all kinds of cool winemaking going on right now. And it's really nice to see uh, a lot of great high quality rosé out there on the market. I agree with that. And you guys are one of those brands that are high quality, amazing, delicious, and scrumptulescent. (laughs) (laughs) We need to add scrumptulescent to our tasting notes. (laughs) Please do. Please do. You can use that word. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so good. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to make a very corny joke as we end. Uh, As we talked about, you know, the movie Step Brothers. Um, Hopefully the Catalina wine mixer next year will take place and (laughs) Lorenza will sponsor it uh, because I'll be so fetch. Um, I would love to be a part of it. Let's talk about it. (laughs) I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks Michelle so much. Thank you, Renee. Cheers. Yay! Thanks, Michelle. We really appreciate Lorenza Wines Rosé being on our show today. And also the education about how you guys make your fantabulous rosé. Want to thank both of our guests, Naomi, Michelle, 
Thank all of you for listening. This is episode number 22, y'all. Quarantine season what? We have successful uh, podcast here. I'm feeling really great about it. And we want to thank you all for being such great listeners and motivators. If you want to be on the podcast, you have people you want to re- recommend to join us and interview, feel free to hit us up uh, on social media. We are the Rosie Hour Podcast. And you can check out our website, therosiehourpodcast.com. Have any questions, comments, concerns, or any of those wonderful things, use Renee at therosiehourpodcast.com. And also, shout out, pew, 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 to bartender Ben. Holding it down, like always, to Angeline with scheduling and all the amazing people here at the Rosie Hour. Until next week, friends. Six and parade. Cheers.